This is what it's like every week now. <laughs> I just try and figure out what the hell Brent is talking about. Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, everyone. Uh, Alan, All three Alan. of you. Hey, oh, hey. I thought you were talking to people out there. You're yeah. talking to I don't know who hey, I'm talking to. I'm talking to you. I'm, I'm Alan. I'm here with Brent, and we have a guest, a guest of Brent. Brent, introduce your guest. Introduce our guest. Uh, we have a fantastic guest today. To I, be determined. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> He's going to hang up on uh, us. You are going both ways there. That's good. <laughs> I will say there's this old phrase uh, where it says, Never meet your heroes because they will always let you down. Al Shalloway joins us today. He has been a hero of mine for a very long time. Um, and it's interesting because our topic today is is uh, is going to be about agile and particularly uh, around uh, safe. Uh, Hugh Allen's mailbag uh, uh Jingle. Mailbag. Where we're actually, uh, so I've been following Al for a long time. It doesn't work for the podcast, but I have in my hand one of the most important books in my library. Design Patterns Explained. Hey, you need to get the second edition. It's much better than the first yeah. one. I'm and sorry. you know what's funny? It's even signed. By Al Shalloway, and it says you need to get the second edition. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so don't buy it, Brent. I'm going to buy a copy, sign it, and I'm going to send it to you next time we meet because you do need the second edition. The second edition, I talk about how patterns can be used in an agile environment. I was just figuring that out when I wrote the first edition. I think I'm going to wait for the third edition. There ain't no, there ain't no third edition. <laughs> but if you want what the equivalent of the third edition is, follow Scott Bain. Unfortunately, he doesn't write. He just teaches. But Scott Bain, David Bernstein. Oh, maybe look at David Bernstein's book, who uh, worked with me for a while. He's very smart, very good trainer. And he's got a book. Um, I forget the title of it. And it's been influenced by by my work, uh, but David's really good. Well, well, we'll we'll see about whether or not there'll be a third edition after. <laughs> I after, don't know. You might imp- inspire me. I can't <laughs> after say. I'm done talking with you, yeah, I I already know what the third edition is going to be about, and it's going to be very similar to some of the other discussions we're having now. Um, so, uh, design patterns explained. I was thinking about this today. So we're, we weren't intending to have a discussion around design patterns, but I was thinking about this today around lost, lost arts that should be brought back. And I was thinking, so the three of you, uh, the when three, th- three, three of our three listeners, uh, the three of you, and uh, sadly I'm counting, I'm looking at the three cameras I'm seeing. Of course, one of those three is in fact, me um yeah so this is what it's like every week (laughs) i just try and figure out what the hell brent is talking about oh i knew what he was saying right from the beginning Uh, i'm outnumbered here what am i gonna do yeah it's so the the other thing i'll say about al is if for some reason i ever need 
to get a replacement for an A in A-B testing, I know exactly who it will be. <laughs> Brent, Brent, Brent's making himself laugh. Unfortunately, uh, the most relevant uh, B, uh, I think, in the industry for, for Alan there is not someone he would really work with. Um, um, it could be the ABB podcast. I could bring them both on. Anyway, yeah, the, move yeah, on Move go. on to more relevant Mo- topics. Mo- moving on. And I so, would like to point out that we oh have a topic. We do. Um, uh, I just the, don't know what it is yet. Oh, my God. Shut up. So, so Al, I should have warned you about beforehand. Like one of the feedback about our podcast is it sounds like two guys uh, bullshitting over beer. Uh, and that's kind of the theme, and, and you should just join into the party. I think you did warn me about that, by the way. <laughs> okay. I'll um, be quiet. The So I'm thinking about Lost Arts, and one of the things I was thinking about is, hey, when's the last time I've had a cogent, context-sensitive conversation around design patterns? It's and been it's been a long time. Well, you know, we should get together and bring Scott Bain in and maybe have David on a Zoom and and Jim Trot. Maybe do it as a Zoom, though the four of those people are in the area here and you'd get a very cogent one because I have them every now and then. But there are only a few people. I hate to I hate to say it this way there. I mean, when I say a few, I don't mean five, but I mean, from a percentage point of view, not that many people truly understand patterns. So. It's hard to get a true cogent conversation because people think the important part of patterns is they are solutions to recurring problems in a context. And that's the least valuable aspect of them, although it's very, very valuable. Well, so let's 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 sort of segue in into the the primary topic then. Sure. Given and that. I can bring this in too, actually, because I've given it some thought. Because I think actually. My view, the main, the main problem with patterns is because they're meta, right? And, and meta kind of merges into system thinking. And people have, struggle, I think, with, with sort of system thinking. Now, the primary reason we asked Al on today, and, and much like the, the three listeners we have are aware, we're going to probably go all over the place. Um, but we had a mailbag question around, it was from uh, already one of the active listeners on the Slack channel. Where's your question? She asked, Brent, you've mentioned that you find safe not as bad as everyone thinks. I would be interesting to know how you make the most of it and what are the things to be aware of. Uh, thanks. Right now, um, one of the things, uh, and I believe this to be true. So I was the first Microsofty um, to get certified in safe, and Al actually was at this. I, I think you got certified at the same time I did, right? Uh, no, uh, I was uh, oh, certified. You? I never took a training to be certified, or I might have taken a training. Oh. I was actually certified before I took the training. Oh, and then okay. The agreement, though, by Dean was that I would take the workshop. And okay. the reason Dean made an exception for me is prior to the launch of SAFE, 
uh, he, he and myself and Alan Chetelawada, our president at Net Objectives, the three of us had done probably half of the successful agile adoptions that had taken place in uh, the 2000s, you know, like up until about 2010 or 11. And we decided to partner together. So he knew I knew a lot about agile at scale. So what happened is he kind of said, okay, you're SPC, uh, you have to take the exam later. And I was the first SPCT trainer outside of SAI, again, somewhat given special dispensation because he knew I knew how to, um, how to do at scale. And what's interesting is one of the first one of the first safe adoptions I did was at Northwestern Mutual. I can mention this because they had us do a case study there and all that. But I didn't do safe. I never have done safe the way safe says to do safe. In fact, they were always giving me a hassle about it where I say, well, this is how I'm doing this implementation. They say, well, that's not how we like to do it. And I'd get into a 15 minute conversation with no progress made until I would finally say, well, are you telling me I have to do something that's not in the best interest of the customer? And to their credit, they would always stop arguing with me then about what I was wanting to do. (laughs) And then I would do what I want. And I added a lot of things to safe and I didn't do it all in all the way like they talked about. I prepared people properly. I knew how to talk to management. But I never really did what I totally wanted to do because there's a lot missing in safe. And uh, that's eventually why I left as I couldn't get them to put what's missing and I couldn't get them to change what's really kind of archaic and structured badly. And so eventually I left after three or four years of using a variant of it. Uh, People, yeah. So on that, like, so what... So I am a fan of many of the the, the techniques that that, that Safe uh, brings in, like the the planning event. I I just think is absolutely wonderful. I love that 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 whole process. But the primary feedback I I I hear from from people or the opponents of Safe is it's just far too complex, right? There's far too many pieces. It's far too many things to understand. And in, from my own personal training of people to, to shift to like a Kanban, right? I, I, I end up getting that same sort of feedback when, when I'm just trying to introduce people to Kanban, which I think is actually relatively easy to understand, right? Um, versus something that's so so very prescriptive, like, like scrum. So uh, I'll, I'll just yield to you. What, what do you think is the, the, the real well, positive and the negative of safe? So let me ask you this, cause I tend to talk too much as I think, you know, but if you <laughs> give me five minutes of just kind of just creating a background, I think I can tie design patterns, timeless way of building and the mindset of safe, and then how you do that and explain what's good and what's bad. So do I have kind of five minutes to do that? Yes. Okay. So let me, Chris Alexander, one of the most impactful books I've ever read is by Chris Alexander, wrote Timeless Way of Building. Now, a lot of people say you need to read a pattern language, and that's a good book too, but Timeless Way of Building is the real thought process underneath all of his work. And then a pattern language is an example of it. Yeah. And 
Uh, if you're going to read Timeless Way of Building, I make a recommendation. First of all, get a hard copy. There is a free PDF you can find somewhere on the web, but get a hard copy. There's something about that book. And I'm a massive Kindle fan, so I typically always have soft copies. But the Timeless Way of Building is somehow looking at the pictures, having it in your hand makes a difference. And read the italics first, which is just an hour or two. Read the whole thing. You'll get the concept, then go back and read it at your leisure. But the really the really important part of Timeless Way Building to me was how you do design. And he talks about how the way people design normally is you find your pieces and then you put them together. And he's talking about this and I'm saying to myself, I was reading this like in 94, 95, 96, something like that. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, that's how I design. But then the very next word on the next paragraph says, but and I said, oh crap, he's gonna tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> He said, when you design that way, then the pieces are preformed and they don't fit in the context of how you're putting things together. He says it a different way, but that's really what he meant. And, and what I realized, and I saw this in practice because I was having some troubles solving some problems. And when I shifted into the way he was saying things, I really, it, it just solved the problem right away. The idea is you look at the whole and you decompose it by looking at the relationships between things. And then those relationships give you like, and I'll use the business agility as an example. In a lot of organizations, it doesn't have to be this way, but in most it is. There's a business part and a development part. I'm not, I'm not suggesting this is what you want. I'm just suggesting this is how it is. And when you decompose, say, well, here's a pattern. I got a business part and talking to a development part. What you do is you now have not only decomposed the system, and actually systems thinking tells us we can't decompose the system, except... In this case, we're decomposing it with the relationship present. How does business relate to development? Because as Russ Acoff tells us, systems are more about the relationships between the pieces, not the pieces. You could get the best parts of the best cars, put them together, you have a pile of junk. But if you get all the pieces together working, it's systems thinking tells it's the way the system works together is the system behavior. So the key of Alexander's approach is you take the whole and you don't decompose it into the pieces. You decompose it into the sets of relationships between the pieces. Now, when you do this, when you do this, something interesting happens. How to say business, well, business has like the discovery and product management and intake and all that. How did that part relate to the other? So you keep breaking it down. He uses the metaphor of an embryo continuing to split. So now the question is, well, how can say product management talk to development? Well, there are a lot of issues there. What's the size of the pieces handing over? Who's involved? Are there people on both sides? How do they work together? These are like the forces. He calls all the, there are about a dozen of them in, in this particular thing. And what a pattern is, in fact, I've built the Discipline Agile Value Stream Consultant Workshop is based on this notion. And thanks to you, Brent, a lot of this happened because you said, break everything down into patterns so several years ago. And I use that. I've been meaning to thank you for that, by the way. So here I get this thank you publicly. <laughs> Thank you for that. That. Was, big, that was a big influence on me. <clears throat> so now what you have is you have patterns that talk about how to solve this problem. And there are dozens of ways to solve this problem. And one of the other patterns in there is the planning event. Now, SAFE has a particular way of doing a planning event. And the planning event has a lot of forces in it. One is what comes in, what comes out. There's a social force in the planning event. One of the coolest things about the safe planning event has nothing to do with planning. It has to do with the social aspect of everybody getting together and talking to things. Okay, 
Now, that being said, I got another couple of minutes and then I'll get into specifics on say. So we've got this different patterns, different number of patterns comprising how the whole system works. And each pattern is a solution to a recurring problem in a context, which means planning is a solution. It's a pattern for figuring out what you're going to do over some period of time. Flow planning would almost be no planning, just letting it something came in first in, first out or by priority or massive planning, like say for you have three months or the way I like to plan if I'm in a big organization is you find those things that need long planning, but you can run in parallel short-term planning with a common cadence. I mean, there are any number of ways of doing these. All of these are the same pattern, excuse me, excuse me, different implementations of the same pattern called planning. And it's got these different issues. I've already mentioned the half a dozen of them. So summing up Alexander, I've got the way to look at the whole system, breaking it into relationships, and then the relationship can be a pattern to solve and then I've got different ways of implementing it. Okay, now how does this relate to SAFE? Well, SAFE, if you're a really large organization, like a thousand people plus, it actually attends to some things, maybe well, maybe not, but it attends to some things nobody else is attending to. As Don Reinertsen once told me when I asked him about uh, something like, like how well this is being done. I think it was weighted shortest job first. And I said, well, how about, well, do you really think they're doing? This was years ago. They've improved this. So this is not a judgment by Don. But I liked what he said. He said, well, well, on a scale of one to 10, maybe there are two, but they're the only ones talking about it. So they're, they're first. <laughs> at least they bring it to consciousness. And this is what is at least a powerful thing. They're, SAFE's looking at the whole. There's power to looking at the whole. The problem, though, with SAFE, in my mind, is they deal with a lot of stuff at the team level and what they call essential safe. And they don't do that badly, except they do everything at scale, whether you need it or not. So companies with less than 50 people are using safe, which is absurd because that's like taking out a mallet, to, you know, ball peen hammer, so to speak, to put a nail in the wall. It's just way more than you. But if you need to get teams coordinated, the question then is how do you coordinate them? So the common way is people take the teams and combine them. Well, that goes against Alexander's approach. We don't take components and put them together and make a system. SAFE's method of looking at the whole, the problem with that is the way they structure it. So SAFE has some good things, but what they also are missing things and the structures are. Okay, sorry, this is probably more than five minutes already, but I am going to wrap it up here. <laughs> frameworks, let's look at frameworks. And then we could relate to SAFE. I think there are three aspects to frameworks that are very important. One is, what is the mindset it's based on? Like Scrum is based on, well, we'll create a kind of a framework within what you figure out what to do, and you can't change our holding pattern, our, our umbrella for you to figure things out. And then they think it's, it's not prescriptive because, well, you fill it in. Except what they ignore is the framework itself is prescriptive because you got to use time boxing and you've got to use cross-functional teams. Other frameworks have different mindsets. You know, waterfall isn't the framework, but it's got a mindset. Well, so what's the mindset of safe? Well, we're going to put everything in here. If, if it's been useful at one point, we're going to stick it in. We don't care how complicated it is. We've got essential portfolio, different levels. So mindset is very important. Then there's structure. Is do you have a there's they conflate this? There's what I call a decision framework. Like, how do you decide what you're going to do? Well, safe and scrum tell you. So they have a decision framework, but it's called Ken, Jeff, and Dean. And they've decided what you're going to do. But 
And then what they teach you is what I call a working framework. Looking for a better name, by the way, than working framework, but that's what I'm calling it right now. Like the Scrum Guide is a working framework. How they figured out those patterns is, well, they just figured that out themselves. But this is what you do. Now, personally, I think decision frameworks and working frameworks need to be unconflated, whatever that word it means. You know, in other words, what I do is I work with a decision framework and I teach people the decision framework. And I can have a starting working framework if they want, because sometimes people say, hey, just tell me what to do. Okay, great. Here's a starting working framework. By the way, here's how I got there. And I teach that. So if they want to start with the working framework, they can, but then they can adjust it later to get a fit for purpose thing they need. And then the third thing are practices. Now, the problem is in our world, everybody's just looking at the practices. They're not looking at the mindset. They're not looking at that there's this conflation of decision and working frameworks. So when you look at SAFE, some of the practices are really cool, but the mindset and the structure is bad. SAFE starts at the, inter, at the essential SAFE and then builds it up. And what you really need to do is not work at the levels. It's not bottom up or top down or both top down and bottom up. Do you notice how that fits the hierarchy? That's all hierarchical to conversation. You know, top down management leads, bottom up works. That's all, I'm talking hierarchy. Yep. If there's one thing we've learned from flow and lean and theory of constraints, don't look at the organization's hierarchy. Look at the value stream. So all these other methods that are yelling at each other are missing the point. They're doing the wrong thing wrong. Or they say the other person is doing the wrong thing, but they're both in the wrong space. So we move from waterfall to agile as it is now mostly proposed where we're trying to do hierarchical structures in a better way, instead of saying, no, we need to focus totally on value streams, operational value streams, how the customer does things. So this is where we get things complicated because we're trying to look at an entire organization in a component part, putting it together, looking at the hierarchy, we're looking at the wrong thing. So you can have good practices, but the whole piece doesn't work that well. So anyway, that was more than five, but. I'm gonna go ahead and and build on that. Thank you for that. And I think you hinted at some of the things that come into my arguments against SAFE. And SAFE, for those of you that have heard of it, is Scaled Agile Framework. I think the E stands for nothing. You hit on a couple things I want to reiterate. One is some teams use SAFE when they don't need to use SAFE. Yeah, and, absolutely. And also SAFE isn't the only way you work in a large organization. When you have a large organization all working roughly on the same thing, that's when Agile needs to scale. There are other ways to scale. For example, we have a team where I work of roughly 500 developers, but they, the way they work on, you know, 60 different things that sometimes interact, but sometimes don't. They're not shipping a monolith. So they can behave. They don't have to scale Agile. They can all just do Agile on their own. The other point you brought up or hinted at, maybe didn't say, maybe you did say directly, is that, People get caught up in the framework, and you said that not the value stream, not the results. Safe is one example of that. There is some good stuff in safe. I think people get, often it doesn't work. People get frustrated because they get caught up in doing safe versus being agile. And at the same, at a lower scale, I'm sure you've seen, because I've seen it a bunch of times, and I know Brent's seen it, teams focusing on doing agile versus the value stream or adaptive delivery. They get, or, ca- they get caught up in doing the stuff. And Scrum, oh my God, I'm so, I hate Scrum so much because it's abuse. Teams are so focused on doing Scrum that all they're doing is 
little mini waterfalls focused on a bunch of rituals and they're not getting the value out of them. They skip the only ones that they like skip retros, which is like the most viable beating you can have in there. So with, I hate, I don't say I hate, that's a hard word. My arguments against safe are similar to my arguments about teams, how teams, and I'm almost done here, Brent. I have a little more tangent to do here. You can have your turn. <laughs> is that teams, they get stuck trying to do the thing versus delivering software and what really really boils my bones so i could i could write a blog post about why i don't like safe and someone would say well you're doing it wrong and they'd be absolutely right and if i had a dollar for every article on the internet saying agile is a fad and it doesn't work and here's why and they describe some horribly implemented version of agile that just came right out of someone's butt I could retire a freaking billionaire today. So I tease Brent about safe. And I think the reason is not because safe is inherently bad. I think safe is in some situations um, and done well. It could be work really well. I think Brent's seen that. But I also think it gives people a whole bunch of process to hide behind where they can focus on doing the process versus actually delivering value to their customers. And that's my soapbox on the topic for now. Brent? Yeah, thank you. I, I will say at this point in time, any Agile system can be abused. I think um, you take Agile out of that. Any system can be abused. Right? Well, yeah. The, no, the, the like, as, as Al was talking, and I, I was thinking through, right, I am a fan of safe. But I realized as he was talking, why? Because it's not because of the implementations, the, the, the practices within SAFE. Like I have always, since I started my Agile journey, I've kind of viewed SAFE as sort of a grab bag of successful practices that can be can be connected, disconnected, reconnected in a way to, to help me better accelerate the achievement of shippable quality products, right? The, um, uh, like, I, I actually, I no longer actually honestly even view Scrum as Agile, even though I'm a minority, like the world, I think, and actually, those I'm, I'm going to pause here for a moment. Like, and Al, you'll remember for sure, but I am 95% positive that Scrum was around before the Agile Manifesto. Yeah, it was 95. So I actually, let me inject something here. So Scrum yeah. came out in 95. And there's a recurring theme both of you are saying, but not pointing out. And I want to point it out. And that is the metaphor of the map is not the territory. So before, there was Agile before the manifesto for Agile software development. By the way, there are two very important, three very important words there. Manifesto. Manifestos by their nature are a time-specific statement saying we need a change. And it's absurd to me that 20 years later, when the opening words are we are discovering new ways, and 20 years later, we're still using that as the basis is absurd. Also, it's software development. No, no, we're more interested in the bigger picture now. Software development is a very narrow focus. But the map is not the territory. The manifesto for agile software development is 
the map, the territory is this effectiveness. They just put some words around it that before it came out, there were many of us trying to work on this. Scrum tries to conflate itself with Agile repeatedly. It's a path. It's a map to the territory of Agile. SAFE is a map to the territory of Agile, but SAFE's a harder one to wield because it's a bigger territory and a bigger heavy map. So, so this conflation is killing Agile people. And, and you mentioned this, like then they're trying to follow SAFE. They're trying to follow Scrum. And what you have is the Agile community well, what does that even mean? Because if you're if you've got a whole bunch of maps out there where people are pretending this is what we're trying to do, and there's all these assumptions. One last thing, and then I'll shut up, to let you talk for a minute. But you said systems can be abused. That's true. But you know what? Systems can also be designed to be abused. Scrum is designed, not intentionally, but the design of Scrum leads to it the abuse of Scrum. The design of safe leads to the abuse of safe. And what you want to look at is why do we get these repeated failures, these patterns of repeated failure? And a lot of that is because people have ignored this distinction between there's a way to make decisions and then there's using decisions. And Scrum in particular traps you because it makes some assumptions saying you have to use these methods or you're not doing Scrum. That's time box. People say, oh, we're not prescriptive. Hell, you are. You have to use time boxing. You have to use cross-functional teams. Not saying those are bad things, but they don't always apply. So if systems repeatedly have people misusing them, you need to, if those people who are proposing proponents of Scrum and SAFE and they're being misused, then they have to be, take responsibility for why that happens. I'm not saying blame, but you got to look at, well, why does it happen? How can I make it so it doesn't happen? So given that my loathing of Scrum and my concern of safe are similar in nature and this question for al i guess for both of you um i like what you said they're designed whether by intent or not for abuse they're also very complex systems each of them relative to just something as simple as uh frequent customer delivery at a sustainable pace uh do you think it's the complexity of those systems that leads to the abuse or is it just because we abuse all systems I think people abuse all systems, but see, the they they look at the wrong thing. They simple the question is what's simple? Is it simple to understand? Is it simple to use? Was it simple to be designed? There are all these aspects of it. What you what Scrum and Safe are both based around are practices, instead of what makes for effective value stream management. And it's not surprising to me that the Scrum community has embraced complexity. Because if you're in a complex system where you have no hope of ever getting it under control, then you've basically abdicated your responsibility for figuring out how to get it under control. And I believe it's possible to to make a lot of improvement in a very understandable way. Okay, I get a lot of this from, I was actually working on this for about 15 years before I read The Choice by Ellie Goldratt. Now, a lot of people have read The Goal, which is a phenomenal book. I think The Choice is even better because in The Choice, he says, yeah, systems look complex. And if you go into them as if they're complex, you're going to have problems because then you look for complex solutions. Or actually, I think Scrum isn't complex. I think it's simplistic. It, But it results in complex behavior because it doesn't deal with the right things. So what, what, what Goldratt talks about is how do you look at these systems in a way 
where you can see what's going on. And he's not saying you can deterministically figure things out. I mean, nobody's that stupid. I mean, I've been accused of being a flat earther because I get interpreted as I'm saying I can look into a system, see what's going on. Well, shit, I know, excuse my language. I know that I can't deterministically figure out what's going on. But what I do know is that there are many things that are levers of the system. And if I can pay attention to those, I'll get things better. And the complexity decreases because I can see the nonsense my teams are causing or my customers' teams are causing by working like overloaded, planning too long, not having visibility work, working on big things. You know, there are about eight or nine things you got to really pay attention to. I call these factors to effectiveness. And once you start noticing that, then, and you go back to the relationships I mentioned, what happens is, see, the reason systems are, the reason complexity hurts us is because it hides things. We can't see these relationships. In a system with 100 things, with 100 things relating to 100 things, and one relationship affects another relationship, so you, you get, oh, I, I can't handle this. I got 100 times factorial, and each of those affect everything else. It's easy to get overwhelmed. But if what you say is, yes, but some of those are stronger than others, and I can't see them all, but if I see the significant ones and I make an improvement, like having a gating process for work coming in so I don't overload teams, managing my cues, what happens is I either get improvement or I learn about a relationship I either didn't see or didn't know how it behaved. So if what you do is get improvement or learn, well, learning is an improvement because now, again, my decision framework can improve. So this Working just on practices without any understanding of the model is what causes this weird behavior we get. And that's just inherent in both safe and scrum. So, so let me, let me add in a couple of comments and then um, I guess I have a couple of questions for you. Al. Like, so it's been a couple of years. So I was doing agile transformations within Microsoft several years ago and I was doing one or two a quarter. Right. And but most of those were sort of waterfall to agile shifts. Right. And one of the things that I found was really important uh, over time is that one of my first slides is to describe agile and, and say agile has nothing to do with speed. It, that is not your goal. Speed is not your goal. The reason why it's called agile is about adaptability. How do you very quickly respond? Um, the One of the problems I have, for example, with Scrum, people say, oh, we use Scrum. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So when you complete your story, like what do you do with the customer feedback? Oh, we don't, we don't have customer feedback. And I'm like, okay, you're just using Scrum to do mini waterfall. You're driving me crazy. Like that, now, the thing I found also, as I was going through my own personal coaching work, the thing I found is that Agile itself really is an advanced topic because what I, what I find is Agile is a series of principles that you got to hold true, but there could be multiple implementations of those principles, right? And then... And this is actually the connection back to design patterns is that you have to dis discover the, the equivalent of the bridge pattern for agile or, or should you use bridge or adapter or something else in your particular implementation. And that's teeter, not well. Use the teeter-totter pattern. 
the teeter totter. I'm not familiar with the. I, the, I just I just made it up, but it's in my head. Right. And once teams start going through the practice, then that behavior gets locked in, and then there's this human aspect around around resistant to change. This is why I think retrospectives are important because that's a, that's an element where you're encouraging people to be accustomed and and motivated to change with some goal. Now, I'm going to get to my questions for you, uh, Al. Um, when we first met, I think you too were kind of like a primary a primary piece of your business was sort of waterfall to agile conversions. Yeah, is that what you're doing now, or is it doing, or or are you doing what I suspect? Alan invented a term years ago, which he called fragile, uh, and it stands for effing ridiculous agile. But it sounds like you are moving, you are doing more, helping people uh, move from fragile to agile. Is that is that accurate? Well, yeah, it's a piece of it. So first of all, I had actually for about three hours given up on agile. I was ready to just say F it and go on, except I, I realized that, well, that's not what I'm up to. What I'm up to is helping people. And there are all these people suffering, basically, at the hands of a lot of consultants who are selling frameworks that don't work. So I realized, no, we need to reclaim Agile. This is also the map is not the territory. The Agile, the manifesto for Agile software development is not the territory. It's the map. It was a statement of principles, a statement of variety of things. The essence of Agile and what I'm trying to help organizations do, I work at the organization level mostly, do individual training with a discipline Agile value stream consultant, which I mostly created. But I'm really interested in helping organizations get better regardless of where they are regardless of how effective they are now, whether it's horrible or good, mostly the people struggling call me because if you're good, they've figured out how to improve almost certainly. But the thing for me is to how do we get people to start looking a little more intelligently, thinking a bit more critically and be objective oriented as opposed to following a practice oriented. And that's where, where we are right now. So when when we there was something that was said, this 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 um, this practice focus, I think, is what we have to get away from. We have to get what is our intention? How do we create value? What are the objectives of the practice? In other words, if you look at like planning, see, this is how the patterns tie in. Think of the planning event. The planning event is an impl- in safe. The planning event is a method of doing planning, but that's a particular solution to the pattern called planning. There are way many implementations of it. And if we recognize that the objective is to, is the objective is to get where people know what they're doing, then you don't have to do that full planning event. One of the things that makes SAFE very difficult is, and I think, Alan, you mentioned this, different people work at different paces. Different structures are needed. Not everybody should be in a release train. If you've got a team of seven people working on a new product, like with MVPs trying to discover if it's a new product, they should not be doing three-month planning events. The fact that SAFE uses MVPs to do three-month planning just shows you how messed up they are because that's an oxymoron in its own sense. You cannot do three-month event. You know, The idea is thin slices, but it's not this whole thing. So uh, we need to get back to what we're trying to do and stop trying to follow things. And I know this is kind of hard for people because people like solutions. People like to lower the risk. They want a blueprint. They want a blueprint. Okay, so you can give them a blueprint. 
So I'm not arguing against giving people a blueprint. What I'm saying is it's the way you give them the blueprint. If you say that this is the blueprint now and forever, and by the way, yeah, maybe you want to change it like Scrum does. Okay, well, don't use Scrum when you get past it. You know, the Shuhari BS in my mind. They say, here's the blueprint, do it as shoe, follow this for a while, then you'll learn how to transcend it. But where in Scrum can you transcend it? In fact, if you do transcend it, you call it the Scrum butter. Oh, there's Scrum butter, they're not doing Scrum, and it's a negative kind of attitude about it. So, so what you need to do is have this, as I call it, the working framework. You need to give them something to start with, but you also need to give them a way to show how to improve it as time goes on. This is the decision framework, working framework I did. Scrum just gives you the working framework and because they don't give you a decision framework and because the decision framework is really two people figuring it out themselves, and in my opinion, mostly can, their cognitive bias is incredibly uh, is incredibly forced onto the whole Scrum. I intentionally did not build Flex, which is the model that's in DABSC. What I have now, I don't even have a name for it because I'm not using Flex. I've gone beyond that. <laughs> but I didn't build that myself. I had a lot of people give me ideas. Brent, you gave me one of the ideas, a patterns thing. I got a dozen other people. Yours happened to be more impactful than most everybody else's. But yeah, yes, yes, three scores. <laughs> but, but the point is, I would never have gotten to where I was if I did it myself. If I said, oh, this is cool. I'm smart. I'm going to do this. No, I, I mean, I am smart. But there are a lot of other smart people. And I have found the only way to break your bias is either you hit a wall. So yeah, you can't have tragedy that tends to do bias. But if you don't want to go through life with tragedy after tragedy and only learning after tragedy, is talk to other smart people and listen to them. And I tend to do that. And that's reflected in my approach. And I joke, because one of my co-creating partners is, is a company called Navavi in New Zealand. And two of the members, there are three guys I work with, but Aldo and Hori are there. And the joke, the running joke is, Aldo is supposed to tell me what I left out and Hori tells me what I said wrong. And, and we joke about it, but I love it. It's like, oh, I got this self-correcting. I don't have to try it at a client and mess it up. They'll tell me before I get out there that I'm messing it up. And oh, we don't I have that. We don't have it because we think the solution, the practices are it. I'm going to say one last thing, and then I know you yep. want to go. There's a great quote by Upton Sinclair. I think it's from the jungle. It's difficult to get a, someone to understand something when their salary depends on them not understanding it. And this is where Scrum and SAFE are killing Agile because they've now identified, I'm a Scrum master, I'm a CST, and this is my thing. Well, man, it's hard to go into a place and not do Scrum because you've been called to do it. Man management's mandating it. People deny that, by the way, but I've done some surveys and a lot of people are mandating that they do Scrum. A lot of people are mandating that you SAFE. So you don't have a choice. You can't get out of it. And that's causing damage. That's causing dogma. So actually, what, there's a couple of things. Number one, just, just very quickly, uh, because I actually think, how, what's your view on the Kanban method in terms of how it addresses the practices framework and the decision framework? Because actually, I'll just say, like the practice of formal, formally adapting the the results in in changing how you move forward, I actually picked up from the Kanban method. 
Well, the Kanban method is very useful, but it's again an example of the map conflating with the territory. So sure. Kanban University. So I formed, I co-formed Lean Kanban University, which was a predecessor to Kanban University with David Anderson. I left some personal reasons, some also because I believed in Lean as the driver, not Kanban as the driver. There are two kinds of Kanbans out there. One is the Kanban method. David has spent a lot of time making it sound like he created Kanban, which he didn't. I was not in the creation, but four other people held. There's a, you can Google Dan Vacani, Secret History of Kanban, and he tells a very interesting story. Uh, but the Kanban method is a change management approach using Kanban, which is brilliant. Kaizen, I, I've used, a, I've learned a lot from the Kanban method, but it is not Kanban as a lean approach using Kanban and Kaizen, where you can also do big changes. So what you find is in the world, when you say Kanban, you got to be clear. Am I talking Kanban method, which is a change management system using Kanban, or is it Kanban, which is a flow system using Kanban, and there's nothing that says I can't do big changes. It's not a change management system. Personally, I like being armed with both. This is, again, Kanban. Kanban method are not the territory of getting flow. They are practices to be able to do it. And this continually conflating the decision framework with the, the working framework is killing us. Now, here's one last thing on this. There's another aspect to this. When I say the map in the territory, the territory is what's real, except we can't ever get to reality, okay? So what it's like science, like physicists, they have models. They're trying to explain physics. And we know we don't really understand what's going on. In fact, the more they get into it with string theory and a bunch of other things, we learn more and more about there is no reality out there anyway. That's another metaphysical conversation. <laughs> but, but the point is, that aspect of finding reality is something we know we're never going to get to. And we are trying. And it has nothing to do with your opinion or my opinion. It has nothing to do with your approach or my approach. It has to do with what is the working aspect of things. Now, in knowledge work, examples of this could be my theory that delays in workflow cause waste. I'm reflecting. That's my map of the territory. I think that's reality. Now, what do I do with that? Like these eight or nine things I talked about. What do I do with that? Well, I've come up with a decision framework based on my understanding of knowledge work to decide what to do. Now, that's my approach. It's not the right approach. It's just Al Shalloway's approach. You might have a better approach and you might brand your approach and I might brand my approach. But what we want to be honest about is this isn't the territory of how Agile works. It's our approach to trying to figure out how to do better. So when we start thinking about it this way, we can take the good of Scrum or SAFE. We can ignore the bad. We can start learning about how things work in the middle of it. And we have a lot more power and we avoid the dogma. Um, so anyway, there's a quote I'm going to look up. So why don't you guys talk and I'll tell you this quote from uh, Neil deGrasse uh, Tyson. It's just brilliant. Yeah, that, that let, me, um, let me jump on that because in your talking there, it made me reflect on the way I run stuff. And it, I came to an uh, insight I didn't realize. And but the first thing is I forgot another reason I don't like safe and I don't like scrum is the whole certification scheme around those things I don't believe in. But I wonder if we put to my realization, I wonder if we put too much emphasis on the map overall, because I've realized while you were talking, I 
the map is there, but we ignore it. So let me tell you a little bit how my teams work. Um, we talked about planning for three months. We use a concept on my team called the P50 estimate, um, derived from Hubbard's work on how to estimate anything. And I found that um, having a 50% confidence level in your date for the thing you're going to deliver that brings customer value is a sweet spot between over planning and taking off before you know what you're doing. There's a great quote, weeks of coding will save you hours of planning, but there's right. a, uh, <laughs> but there's a, that, that, that P50 is that sweet spot. And we end up zeroing in on that over time. Also then I do not hire project managers uh, or scrum masters or any of that. My engineering leads, every people manager on the team is responsible for the delivery of their team and for P50 estimates for their team. And we have a safe environment, lowercase safe, meaning psychological safety, where it's okay to miss dates. They're accountable for delivery. I don't care what methodology they use. I, I don't give them a map. They can choose, they can go try and use a variation of Scrum. They can use textbook Scrum. They can use Kanban. They can use something they make up. They can use little mini waterfall, whatever, as long as they get, as long as they are predictable and they're bringing value to customers. And then when we have something complicated, when there's something that spans multiple teams, I use program managers. We have a small number of those who, that's their job. They take the, they take the, the complex, hairy things and make sure they're not complex and hairy. In a way, um, you know, my view on that based on this conversation is I am for some reason trying to avoid the map because maybe the, maybe to me, I've realized the map doesn't matter as much. Well, as, the territory as, as, is more important than the map, but you've got to get that not everybody thinks the way you do, Alan. So you can hold it in your head and you're working with a, a group of teams and you're present. But see, what I'm trying to do is something different. So I'm not disputing what you're doing. I'm not saying what you're doing is not effective, but there's a difference when you're internally a consultant and always present and you could course correct but a lot of people like give me an answer give me a way to do something and they will only pay attention to a map yeah it it, it granted it does take a while to build so up an if organization what you do, so what i would suggest like what i do because i'm in a situation where i try to go in and i'm trying to get people who aren't used to thinking this way and i don't i'm not trying to get them to think the way i think because First of all, that can get you into trouble <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Uh, but I, I mean, I have a certain style of thinking and it applies in a lot of places and it doesn't apply in a lot of places. You know, so I mean, I'm not, if everybody felt like me, the world would not be in a better place uh, in terms of solving technical problems. But, but in, so what we want to do is recognize the people we talk to who are needing to hold on to things. What we just need to make their cl them clear about is the answer we're giving them is what we know at the moment is the best way to do things. And examples are like driving, what side of the road do you drive on? Well, in the United States, on the right side of the road isn't even 100%. You go into places that are a one-lane roads. I mean, not one-way, one-way roads. You don't always want to be on the right side of the road. So we have to remember what's the objective and what is the implementation of the objective. And that's a pattern, right? What's the objective? How do I implement it different ways to solve it? And what I hate about Scrum so much is they are a self-assuming that you don't have to state the objective. Here, just do this. It's simple. Use it as is. And if you don't, it's your fault. But when you have the objective and you have a theory, then people can learn how, what's a better way to solve my problem? So, what you want to do is recognize I have this working set of heuristics, I suppose, or practices or whatever you want to call them. 
And then I need to teach people that, hey, well, that's fine. But when it breaks, don't assume you're at fault. Maybe it's the practice. And how do you do an improvement to the system? How do you do double loop learning? Double loop learning is like, like you know, a single loop learning is like a thermostat. You want to keep the temperature between, say, 70 and 74. If you go above it, it puts AC on. You go below it, it puts heating on. But double loop learning asks, well, is that even the right way to do it? Should I be following this practice? And maybe there's a better way to do this. Maybe the thermostat changes when I leave the house. If I, you know, the Google Nest does that. Uh, maybe I have a controller on my wall or I have it on my phone. What's interesting is Safe and Scrum don't have double loop learning on the frameworks themselves. In other words, they're saying this is God's answer to your problem. That's damaging. That's dogma. Oh, here's the quote, by the way. This is from Neil deGrasse Tyson. The difference between science and religion is religion can't abide being wrong. Science seeks to be wrong. So here's my corollary to that in the agile space. The difference between science and the way agile is practiced is agile is practiced can't abide being wrong. Science seeks to be wrong. And I was by that I mean I remember once on a on a public forum, some I was saying something around Scrum. And, and somebody said, well, how would you feel like if your method was challenged? And I think I, I, think I really surprised the guy. I said, oh, I would love it. I want to know what's wrong with my approach so I can fix it. Because I'm trying to find out what works. I'm not trying to defend an approach I'm creating. What are the rules of knowledge work that I have nothing to say about? You have nothing to say about. It's just the way it is. That is something I want to learn. And then that's more of us, all of us talking in a forum to learn that. Then what's my brand? Okay, I've got this thing I call Amplioza Team. Amplioza Latin for improvement. And the Discipline Agile Value Stream Consultant I do through the PMI. What's wrong about those approaches? Well, I want to know so I can improve the approach I take. What's wrong about my understanding of how things work? Well, I want to understand how things work because then I could improve them. And there's very little attempt at learning that last part. I get attacked for that a lot when I point out that a lot of the way things are designed ignores the reality of the world, which is okay, actually, because I get enough people who are learning from the attacks. I'm starting to actually make another side comment. There's a book I highly recommend to anybody who's frustrated with the way things are. It's called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. He, he writes about stoicism. He's also read, written The Ego is the Enemy and The Stoic Way and stuff like that. And I've read a couple of his books, but The Obstacle is the Way says what's in your way is the way through it. And it's not this thing, this Pollyanna of what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, or we got to overcome obstacles because then they give opportunities. He's really saying the key is looking at the problem. And I apply this all the time. My productivity has gone up. My innovation has gone up like an order of magnitude since I read this book. And I'll give you one quick example. So I said I was ready to just chuck it with Agile. And then I, I thought, no, no, first of all, two things are going to happen. One, I'm leaving behind a lot of people who are having troubles. Second of all, they're going to catch up to me anyway. I mean, things I said 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people are now saying it, but they're saying it wrong. You know, like Scrum is based on Lean. Well, I never said Scrum was based on Lean. But 14 years ago, I said Scrum can be thought of as a partial implementation of Lean. Now Scrum is, and I was thrown off the Scrum development group for saying that. Jeff and Ken denied it was true. And... Uh, now they're saying Scrum is linked, which it isn't. So I said, you can't run away from bastardization of concepts. People are just going to follow you and do that. 
So I thought about it. Okay, agile, if the answer is the obstacle is the way, why is it people are abusing agile and turning it into fragile? Why is it that safe gets abused? Why is it that scrum gets abused? And look at that reason and use that as how to improve things. And like I said, I was three hours of despondent. Then I said, okay, I'll get off. Stop complaining. And now I'm really thinking about that. That's what I'm talking about, reclaiming Agile. That the way to reclaim Agile is to look at what did Agile really mean? And there's this aspect of learning what truly is the territory. And then how do we get that back? And Alan, I know you think about this. I can tell from how you're talking. And I know Brent does. I've known him for a long time. I haven't met you. I I just met you now. (laughs) <laughs> but what's interesting is when you listen to how people talk and you you ask yourself, what could they be, where are they coming from saying what they're saying? See, if somebody says, well, you're not following Scrum, or somebody says, well, you know, you, you know, you got to, you know, some something simple, just use it as is. That That's a big statement right there. Oh, you should be following. You should be believing something instead of how do you think for yourself? And I think, I, I think what I'm trying to do now is create a forum in a sense to be a catalyst for people like ourselves to see how to move this forward. I'm not interested. Some people then ask me, oh, am I going to do some of the stuff I did before, like Lean System Society? Uh, I did a, I've had two or three things, um, True North Society, different thing. And the answer is no, I'm not, because I've never found a business model for that. And it always peters out after a while. But what I am trying to do this kind of maybe be a beacon for others and create exposure. In other words, I'm not competing with folks like yourself. I'm like, hey, let's light more candles and go after those people who want to see what are better ways without the dogma involved. Yeah, I think that's probably a good thing to end on. Um, I will say that. Oh, this has been you awesome. For and thanks for coming. Enjoyed it's been a fantastic conversation. I got to run, but uh, Al, it's been a huge pleasure having you here. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brent, I, you know, I understand. you're all right. Yeah, good job. Because I job. said like three words this time. Al, Al, thank you very much. And and as just as, as a closure, I don't know. Did you? So Al, is if anyone wants to reach out to you, what's how can they do it? The easiest way is my email, al.shalloway, S-H-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y, at engineering dot works w-o-r-k-s success engineering just two words no i'll, I'll attempt to put that look in the for show me on linkedin I, I think i'm the only alan shallow al shalloway on linkedin and connect with me please connect with me i got my contact information there that all works and then and then i'm sure we'll get all sorts of people ready to get third edition of uh design patterns explained yeah, yeah. that ain't happening <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm pre-ordering my Thank copy you, today all right. See you, everyone. <laughs> I Bye. enjoyed it. Take care. Bye. Bye.